I'm Ann Perry, and you're listening to From Surviving to Thriving for Parents. Hey, you. Pull up a seat. Welcome back to From Surviving to Thriving for Parents. This is episode 36. I am Raymond Bercier, and if you are a parent or soon-to-be parent who wants to give their kids the best start in life that you can give them by being the best parent you can be, you are in the right place. This show, it's all about you, because we're about transformation, support, and taking unwavering action so that you can be the parent you always needed and be the parent that they need you to be. Before we dive into this week's conversation, I'm excited to announce that From Surviving to Thriving for Parents made it into Podcast Magazine for the third time in the past four months. I thank you all, our tribe, because I couldn't have done this without you. I thank you all for the support and for helping the show become what it has to be able to help more parents along their journeys. In this week's installment of the From Science to Woo and Everything in Between conversation series, we have a fascinating conversation with numerologist Anne Perry. We dig into her journey, what numerology is, and how it can be leveraged by parents and entrepreneurs alike to gain insight along your journey. And I think you will really enjoy this conversation. So let's jump in. Anne has been the clarity seeker her whole life, a self-proclaimed metaphysical junkie, always looking for answers, and has had some crazy life experiences. Along her journey, she, like most people, had a lot of ups and downs. Her life and her journey really started to come together when she discovered numerology. Through her gifts, she's helped people move out of survival mode and out of the funk that they may have found themselves in. Her life purpose is to help you find yours. Welcome to the show, Anne. I'm honored and grateful to have you here with us. Thanks so much, Ray. I'm absolutely delighted to be here myself. So we're going to go dive into numerology in a little bit, what it is and how powerful it is and life-changing it can be as a tool. But before we go into that, I want to spend just a few minutes and reflect on your journey. There's a quote from Steve Jobs that says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back. And looking back at your journey, especially when you felt that you were stuck, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned that have brought you here today to be with us, even if they were lessons that maybe you didn't enjoy at the time? Wow, uh, there's so many. <laughs> but um, I've always been somebody who was very spiritual. I've known this since I was very, very young, probably five or six years old always had an interest in ghosts and spirits and angels and all those kinds of things. But it never really came together for me until I was probably about 43. I'd gone through quite an experience with my brother. My brother uh, developed flesh-eating disease, actually. And over the course of a summer, he died five times. Thankfully, he made it through. But uh, it, was pretty, it was pretty grim through that summer. And so I had an angelic experience during that time. 
which really led me into my own healing journey and really helped to turbocharge my spiritual journey. I was married, uh, had been married for several years at that point, and my now ex-husband, wonderful guy, a really, really great guy, but he supported me doing the work when I became a Reiki master, because that's kind of how I got my spiritual journey going, was to take Reiki from myself and then learn how to administer it and then become a teacher. So he appreciated that I did that because I made an income from it, but he didn't really get it. You know, he didn't really understand it. So there was a quite a division there. And I think one of the biggest defining moments for me on that journey, it was kind of a lonely experience going through that because, you know, spirituality and evolving as a spiritual person can be a lonely experience unless you're surrounded by a tribe of people who get you, you know? And sometimes that back then, I mean, we're talking about back in the uh, mid nineties, um, Oprah was just getting the bandwagon going. You know, she was the one that was bringing on Eckhart Tolle and, and uh, Wayne Dyer and all these, you know, people who made it really big after the fact. But at that time, there was nobody for me to kind of knock on the door and go, hey, you want to have a cup of coffee? And let's talk about these things. It wasn't available. So it was a bit of a lonely journey. But further to the point, I remember, you know, we had our own business for 17 years. We worked side by side with a secondhand clothing business that we had in our home because I really wanted to stay home with my kids. I didn't expect that he was going to stay home for 17 years with the kids, but we, we ate, work, slept together for 17 years. It was tough, really tough. And I was doing that through the day and I was, you know, doing my spiritual stuff at night and it got to a point where I really wanted to close that business down. So we did. And I wanted to develop my business with Reiki and numerology and a bunch of other things I was doing at the time. And I remember we were having, having really some very difficult financial times. And he was going out the door and I'll never forget it. And he, he said to me, um, you know, we're having a hard time this month. We're having a hard time making the mortgage. We're, I don't know if we're going to be able to pay the power bill again. Like this is, this is really tough. And I was being very, you know, empathetic. And I said, yeah, I know. And I know, I know you're working really, really hard and, and I'm working really hard too. And he turned on his heel, Ray, and he looked at me and he said, yeah, but you're never going to make it. And it was like somebody took a knife and carved my heart out. I was never, there's nothing that anyone has ever said to me ever since, before or since, that ever hurt me as much as when he said that. So I lost my mind and I am not a screamer, but in that moment, I started screaming at him to say, you know what? I am never, ever going to meet your expectations. And on that, I flipped out on my heel and I took off out the door and got in my car and bawling my eyes out and I'm yelling at myself and I'll never meet his expectations. Nobody ever will. He's got ridiculous standards and blah, blah, blah. And I made it as far as the Tim Hortons and I pulled into the parking lot and I'm still bawling my eyes out. And it was like a bag of hammers hit me when I went, Oh my God, it's not his expectations. I'm afraid I'm not going to meet. They're mine. Right. And that was a pivotal turning point for me. And that's when I realized I was investing way too much in blaming him for my lack of success. And that's when I started to choose. If I was angry at him, I chose to be angry. Right now, I am choosing to be angry at you. Or right now, I'm choosing to be depressed or I'm choosing to feel defeated. And that's how I crawled out of it. And with every day, you know, my, my business started to climb. And, uh, you know, like I say, we were together 27 years. But it was a rough climb. So, yeah, it was, it was a challenge for sure. But that was a, a very, very big defining moment for me. 
when I could finally look at myself and go, whoa, girlfriend, you've got nobody to blame but yourself for your lack of, of success. Because I had mediocre success. I didn't really have great success, but it, I was climbing. But, it, you know, again, it wasn't, it wasn't to the level that I expected. So easy to blame someone else. Yeah. So it definitely sounds like you've gone through some rough times and some struggles with survival mode during this period. And it sounds like there's a number of different lessons that you learned through that marriage. Oh, yeah. What was the biggest lesson for you that helped you move going from survival mode to thrive? <laughs> I left. Um, I, I, I shocked myself and left. I did not. And I didn't, I wasn't planning on leaving. That was my second marriage. I mean, nobody wants to go through a second divorce, but I realized I actually, it was a, a friend of mine who was an astrologer. And when I had made the decision to leave and it was so shocking to me that I was leaving, I called her because I knew that she saw marriage contracts on an astrological chart. And I asked her, I said, please tell me my marriage is over because I, I just, I don't know what's going on here. I, I feel like this is crazy, but I just know I have to leave. And she said, yeah. So the contract was up last year. So that helped to kind of confirm my decision. But uh, it was, I just knew I had to. I knew I had to. I had quite a profound experience that showed up on my numerology chart. I was in a seven personal year. I'm actually in that again this year. It was a year, seven personal years when you're supposed to go within and get very introspective and reflective. So I was thinking about what's my next move, but I wasn't thinking about leaving my husband, but I was thinking about what's the next move. Do I want to be in the same job? Because at that point I was in the real job, you know, apparently I was supposed to keep the real job because I shouldn't, you know, bank all my money in, in my spiritual business. And so there was a, an essence and the essence comes from your birth name. Okay. So your year, your personal year begins in January. So that creates an influence that's going to influence you for your whole year from January to the end of December. But there's another influencer that very few numerologists even talk about, and that's called the essence. And it comes from your birth name. And it is like the nine-year cycle that we look at in numerology is like a black and white template. It's the same. Like if you're in a seven-year and I'm a seven-year, I'm going to say, Ray, we're both going to experience a very similar theme this year. But your birth name is different than mine. So you're going to go through it differently than I will. So I knew that I had what was called an 11 essence. This is like a red flag essence and it showed up on my chart. So I was kind of on a hyper alert knowing something was going to happen. And I honestly thought I was going to lose my mom because my mother wasn't well at that time, but that didn't happen. What happened was I had a realization that my boss at my real job, <laughs> I say that facetiously, um, he was my soulmate and I had worked with him or, or for him for three years and I never, ever, ever saw it. And, um, we recognized that. And it was, it was like, honest to God, it was just like lightning hit. <laughs> we, we call it the collision. Like it, it, it was unexplainable. There's, there was no affair. There wasn't anything, you know, awful going on in the background, nothing. It was just this realization that happens when you come into an 11 essence, which gives you illumination. It just lights up your planet. And you, you have to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the ugly was the fact that I was married to a man that I, I, I just couldn't grow with and bless his heart. He's an amazing person, but we just were not meant to be together any further. So. And in life, stuff like that happens. Sure. Yeah. Since you started to go into it for those who may not be familiar with numerology, as you touched upon it here, mm -hmm. would you be able to provide a little bit of a background on what exactly numerology is? Sure. Yeah. So uh, numerology was, you know, there's a little bit of a discussion on that controversy. 
on who discovered it, but I observed the teaching that Pythagoras, uh, who's a, a Greek mathematician and philosopher, he's the one that discovered it about 2,500 years ago, that numbers are codes, if you will. And I like to call it learning how to speak numbers. My courses are called learning how to speak numbers because that's exactly what we do. So there's numbers from one to nine, and each one of those numbers holds a vibration or a predictable characteristic around it. So for example, number one would be the initiator, the leader, somebody who is independent and creative and learning how to stand on their own two feet, things like that. The number two is somebody who's not like the number one. The number one is kind of all about number one, but the two is all about themselves and one other person. So they're more into partnership. And then when you get into the three, of course, the three relates to uh, the community and the social life and that sort of thing. So each number builds upon the next. So what I do when I'm, when I'm doing a numerology reading, for example, I would look at a person's date of birth and figure out what their life path number is. And that identifies what their purpose is. And we look at all the lessons that you've agreed to learn this time around. And I look at your birth name, which is made of letters, and of course, and the letters are assigned numeric value. And what we look at there is we, we determine what your, your gifts and your talents and your passions are that you chose to bring with you to support yourself as you go through your life path number, because those are the lessons. That's the Reader's Digest condensed version of numerology. Awesome. And yeah, when you think about math, uh, it's very basics. Math is a language. Yes. So it's not a far stretch to believe that numerology in itself. What led you to studying numerology? So when I had my Reiki practice, it was going really, really well. I, I did my day job and I would come home at night and I'd have two clients in the evening. So I only had about 15 minutes between clients and I really was looking for a way to connect deeper with them, to be a little bit more intimate with them and to, to be able to do it efficiently. And so somebody led me to a book called The Life You Were Born to Live by Dan Melman. And although Dan's calculation methods and whatnot are different than mine, his book is the best book ever written on the subject of numerology, in, in my opinion. He does a really great job explaining life path numbers. And so just by, you know, I, I would do an intake form for my clients and I would get their date of birth. So secretly I was kind of like, ooh, you know, I see their date of birth. I can tell so much about them through that. I, I can tell what their life path number is. I can tell, you know, when I was doing hypnotherapy, for example, I could tell if I was going to have a long night or not, because if somebody has an eight life path number, those are the control freaks, right? And they have a really hard time letting go and going into trance. And, you know, I know who was a little bit more sensitive. The twos are very sensitive. And so I, I tend to be a little sarcastic and witty. So I knew I had to kind of tone that down. So really, it was a great tool for retention. You know, because my clients were like, wow, you know an awful lot about me. That's so cool. And that kept them coming back because they felt comfortable with me because I knew them at a, at a bit more of an intimate level than, than other Reiki practitioners did. So I could tell, you know, what personal year they're in and what they're going through and what their sub lessons were and all kinds of really good information comes just from knowing their date of birth. So that's, that's how I got involved in it. And, and once I read the book, I was like, I was completely hooked on it. I knew how accurate it was. Crazy. So numerology can be leveraged by entrepreneurs? Oh, 100%. 100%. I actually teach a course about how to apply numerology to your business. I can't even imagine being in business and not understanding numerology. It's especially for anybody who's a practitioner or a coach or consultant of any kind, like you got to know who your clients are. And it's a really simple way to do it. I only do things simply, right? <laughs> That's all I know how to do. <laughs> You got to keep things simple in this life. Otherwise, you end up getting in your own way. Yeah, you know what? That's right. So for parents out there, 
Mm. What are some of the ways that parents can leverage numerology? Like, can parents use it to better understand themselves and better understand their children? So much so. I'm always blown away when a parent will book a reading with me and then they will book a reading so that we can talk about their kids and look at them. Because again, when I'm looking at, you know, say I'm looking at mom, oh, mom's life path number one. And uh, I look at dad and dad's a life path number eight. Well, automatically, I, I know that there's a bit of a, a little bit of a friction going on there, right? The, the eight is an even number and the one doesn't always respond well to the even number, right? So even numbers go with even numbers, odd numbers go with odd numbers. That's as simple as it gets, right? That's not a, that's not a etched in stone because there's lots of other reasons why people get together and why it works and why it doesn't. But there's so many components that I look at in a chart that help people to understand who they really are, you know, and why they might be having challenging times. So, I mean, I do family dynamic readings where I look at mom. Okay. So mom's in a seven personal year. Well, the seven is all about being very quiet and being very reflective. And she doesn't want to hang out with a bunch of people. There's not that there's, you know, not that she doesn't love them anymore or whatever. She just needs her time out. She needs to go in her cave, but dad, her husband, is in year of one. He's like, come on, let's do this. Let's get going. Let's start this. And she's like, I don't want anything to do with that. But that's just a cycle, right? It's just a cycle. And, and I can show them where the 12 month cycle. And really you're only feeling it for about nine months without getting into the too many mechanics about this, but I can show them that everything is a cycle and everything changes. So when we put everybody on a page and we look at Johnny is over here and he's in a three year, which is all about self-expression and creativity and being a little distracted and whatnot. And his sister's in a four year, which is all about discipline and focus and routine. She's not going to get along with her brother in that year very well, because she needs stability and he doesn't. Right. So, but there's other times when they're going to get along very, very well. And I'm able to identify that. And these are tools that are so simple to learn that I can teach parents how to do this. Right. But super helpful for family dynamics or office dynamics or anything you want to apply it to. There's a lot of people out there who have a lot of that garbage that, you know, we've been stuck swimming around it that doesn't belong to us. Like, for instance, the garbage from your, your previous husband who says, you know, you weren't going to make it, you know, yeah. you won't be able to make it. Are you able to, as a parent and as a person, be able to use numerology to kind of look through the, the shadow of what you may need to tackle in order to be able to kind of heal through some of that programming and conditioning that was probably forced on you along your journey that still is running in the background, running your life from the shadows. I'm thinking back when you started asking that question, I was thinking back to a time when I had a really good executive position. I was like 28 years old. I had the world by the tail. I had a company car, you know, all the bells, the whistles, all of that at my, my job was five minutes from my house. And I got bored. I have a five in my chart that says I get bored very easily. So I'm like, yeah, let's shake that up, right? Like, why, you know, you don't want that really great job. So I decided to apply for another job and I got the other job. I interviewed really well, apparently. <laughs> but once I got to the job, which was an hour away from my home and I had to buy my car and I had to give up all my benefits and everything, seemed like a good idea at the time. I didn't know numerology back then. So I want to stress that. And I took this job and I got up there and I realized, oh my. I am completely and entirely underqualified for this job. And so I had to fake it. 
every day because I had a big mortgage to pay and I had all kinds of responsibilities, a little boy at home, depending on me, all of it. And I was freaking out on the inside because I just didn't get it. I didn't understand the job. I did whatever I could to make it look like I did. My employer was okay with me. I wasn't okay with me. That's a six that shows up in my chart. I'm a, that's the perfectionist, right? Holding the bar very high. The point I'm trying to make is that I remember being going to bed at night and just bawling my eyes out that I just can't do this. I can't do this. And of course, my now ex-husband was pretty freaked out because I just, you know, we just built this big house. We had huge debts and all that kind of thing. And he just, you know, kept telling me, you have no choice. Like you've made the decision. You have to do this. And so what I did, I decided rather than going to bed, focusing on what I didn't know, I would go to bed at night and I would go to sleep on one thing that I learned that just one thing. If I was in the flooring business, if, if vinyl was $3 and 97 cents a square yard to lay, I could go to sleep on that. And if that's all I could go to sleep on, that was fine. I would not, I could not afford to wallow in what I didn't know. Right. And when I look back on it now, when I look at my numerology chart back then, and that's another one of the reasons that I got sold on numerology was because 2003 was an absolutely hideous year for me. And I went back and I looked at that and I realized that I was going through an essence that's a really nasty essence. And if someone had said to me, you know, it's going to get from this point here, from this date until this date, it's going to be kind of crappy. But you're going to come out of it and you're going to be fine. If someone had told me that, I would have approached the year entirely differently because I would have had the information. I have the same kind of cycle coming up in three years. I know it's coming, but I know how to handle it because of the experience. I've already been there and done that. There's a lot of valuable information in there that I think reflection is really important, that you live in the moment, that you can only do the best you can in the moment based on what you know. So celebrate what you know. Don't worry about what you don't know. You, I, I totally believe now that we are divinely guided and we, we already know exactly what we need to know in any given moment. You don't need to know anything more than what you know right now in this moment. Definitely. I'm a firm believer that there's three things in this life that we know. There's what we know. Yeah. There's what we know that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And then there's what we don't know. That we don't know. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of us who are divinely guided to finding their paths in life, looking back on my journey and connecting the dots, it led me here to be able to help others, to be able to serve others. We have all gone through garbage. We're all walking wounded children, walking around in the bodies of dogs. So we've all got you know some of that garbage from when we grew up. We may have struggled with whether having parents who weren't there for us parents weren't there to the point where we needed them mm-hmm. or just gone through a lot of the struggles from our childhood or teens that impacted our life. Now, you being a mother, have there been any times throughout your growth as a person and your growth as a mother that maybe you felt you weren't giving your best to your kids and maybe even that you felt like you were a bad parent? And if so, what got you through that? What got you beyond that type of thinking? You know, it's interesting that this program is called Surviving the Thriving for Parents because I recognized that I was in survivor mode and I took on a lot of responsibilities. I actually, I used to be really angry that I took on so much responsibility because I was always the one doing everything. I wore all the hats. I was the super mom. You know, I was the super woman, you know, oh, look at you. We're, yeah. And all of it. Right. And yet I real I realized that in my efforts to do that, I was actually disempowering my kids because you're kind of saying, oh, let me do that. Because, you know, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself and you're kind of not good enough. You know, don't worry about making your bed. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. You know, 
stupid stuff like that. And I realized after, actually, after I left my husband, I, I realized that I couldn't blame him for being completely complacent in our relationship because I had taught him he didn't have to do anything because my insecurities as a woman, as a mother were so big that I would bandage myself up by taking on all these extra responsibilities to make myself feel better about myself. So it was very self-serving that I was doing that and I had no business blaming them, but I did. How did I get through that? I tried to drop the the need for perfectionism, realizing that, you know, that's a no win. (laughs) But I would also, because I had my business in my home, and it's a wonderful thing to have your business in your home. I don't, don't get me wrong. It's a great thing to be able to work at home and to be home with your kids and whatnot. But very few people, maybe they do now after COVID, but back in the 90s, women would come into my store and say, oh, isn't it wonderful that you get to stay home with your children? And oh, this is great. You get to work at home. And I'm, I, I, sometimes I just go off on them and say, you know what? Do you take your children to work with you full time? Like, do you have any idea what it's like to do, you know, to do the balance act with your children and your work and to make sure your children feel loved and valid and whatnot? But somehow we made it work. And I always committed to story time every single night without fail, non-negotiable. My kids depended on it, that they knew that I was untouchable while while the customers were in the shop. But as soon as the customers left, absolutely, I'm all yours. But they were very respectful of that. But I had to respect them in turn and make sure that eight o'clock, non-negotiable, it's story time, whatever. And, you know, that's, we used to call it talkabouts. Let's do talkabouts. How was your day? You know? That kind of stuff. So balance is is really, really important. That can totally relate to that. I mean, obviously I'm a stay-at-home father yeah. while also working a full-time job at home. Yeah. You know, I spend upwards of 90 plus of the week with the kiddo. Yeah. So balancing that act of you know being a parent and being you know a slave to the grind yeah. is a very, very challenging thing. And when you find that balance, that's where it really starts to connect and it's hard to find that balance because you want to be able to put them first but at the same time a lot of the struggles that you know we as people one of the biggest struggles we all have is Mm self-confidence and a lot of that comes down to the fact that we don't put ourselves first it's some form of society driven measure where it's like you can't put yourself first otherwise you're selfish Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day if you're not putting yourself first not giving yourself your best Mm -hmm. You can't give your best to your kids or your loved ones, your dreams. Yeah. So you just end up with an empty tank. And then at that point, what happens when you're on an empty tank? You know, you're not giving the best to anyone, including yourself. That's right. And I think you, you, that's a very good point, Ray. And I really respect that you stay home with your daughter because I watched my ex-husband do it again back in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And, and it was difficult because it wasn't really respected. You know, he didn't get the respect that he deserved uh, because it's a big job to stay home with the kids, to have a hot lunch on the table. He was kind of domestic diva dad, you know, for a while because I'd be downstairs managing the the shop and whatnot. And he'd be upstairs making sure that when the kids came in with their soaking wet feet, he'd make sure the shoes were dry, you know, and he'd make sure there's a hot lunch there. He'd make sure they were driven back and forth to school when it was raining out, those kinds of things. But that wasn't well respected. And I, I, I feel like he really lost a big piece of himself during that. And so I'm, you know, I'm this, this kind of programming that you're doing is so valuable to men who, who are staying home with their kids because it is the most difficult yet challenging yet rewarding job ever. And if you ask my kids who are 
31 and 39, they'll tell you that it was tough at times because mom and dad were always home. And yet now as adults looking back, they're like, damn, that was amazing, you know, that they made that commitment to us. And yeah, we could have been making a heck of a lot more money. We could have provided a much richer life on the material side, but you know, they knew where home was. So that was, that was important. Definitely. And yeah, I can't imagine how it would have been back then with being a stay at home father, because as it is right now, there's still a stigma. Of course. And it's really challenging. Yeah. You know, like I've tried to connect with, you know, other stay at home groups. There are a few, you know, stay at home father groups, Mm -hmm. but there's not really too many. And a lot of stay at home fathers aren't welcomed in stay at home mother groups. There's a big segregation there. So I can't even imagine how it would have been back then, much more lonely, especially with, with even just the internet being pretty new. Yeah. Not a lot of communities, not a lot of you know social media or anything. It would have been a pretty, pretty lonely life at that point. Yeah, you know, and, and you were talking about the value, you know, placing a value on yourself so that you can teach your children how important that is to sometimes have to put yourself first. And I, I often explain to my clients that, you know, on, on the day that you were born, you came out of the womb, right? And they cut that cord. What's the first thing a baby does when they're born? Cry. Why are they crying? Good question. Exactly. It's a good question. A lot of people will say, oh, because they're probably hungry or they're thirsty or it's a new world or it's a, it doesn't matter why they're crying. The fact is they have a need, right? We don't, it doesn't matter what the need is. The fact is they know enough to express their need because when they're in the womb, every need was met. They didn't know any different when they came out of the womb. Right. So they get hungry. What do they do? They cry. And what does someone else do? They probably, you know, nurture that need. Right. Oh, they're cold. They cry. Oh, nurture the need sort of thing. Right. So babies are born believing that they are divinely perfect. Why would they believe anything different? Right. Until they're told differently, until someone tells them that they're not good enough. And you know when that happens? As soon as we place them, in a car seat in front of a TV set when Barney's on or whatever show they got going on. Now I'm dating myself. But, you know, you get you can put them in front of the best programming possible. But in between the programming, there's the commercials. Every single commercial ever created was designed to tell you that you're not good enough unless you have that. Now think about how many advertisements a child, an adult, a teenager, whatever, we're being every single one of us is constantly being bombarded with commercials. And every single one of them is designed to tear us down so that we don't feel good enough so that we'll go out and buy what they're selling. I think it starts there. So you're damn straight right. We've got to, you know, we have to put ourselves first. Like who if we don't do it, who's going to do it for us? You can't keep giving from an empty cup. And it comes down to programming. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. The programming that we're all subjected to as kids, we don't even realize. It. I know. You know I'm not going to assume everyone, yeah. but I mean, for the most part, most people enjoy Disney. Movies, yeah. So I remember going to see Aladdin in, in you know, theaters when it first came out. I remember going to see Little Mermaid. When it first came out. Yeah. But a lot of those stories, even as great as they were, they were also programming inside of it. You know, the princess had to be saved by the prince or mm-hmm. the, the lonely boy or, you know, whoever. Dark versus light. Exactly. A lot of this programming is in every facet of you know society and culture. Yeah. The kids are bombarded by it, you know, never feeling enough because they're never meant to feel. Yeah. They're always meant to be chasing that carrot on the stick. 100%. Yeah. 
So it's, it brings down a very big responsibility on the part of the parent to make sure that the kids do feel enough, right? So, and teaching them about feeling enough starts with feeling enough about ourselves, that it's, it's okay to say, Hey, I'm, I'm really good at this. You know, isn't that great? Or I'm, I succeeded at this. And isn't that wonderful kind of thing? And let the whole family celebrate that, that it becomes okay to be good. And it becomes okay to be successful and to be celebrated and to feel good about yourself. But it starts at home. It really starts at home. It comes down to values. I view values as kind of like the Northern Star, where that's the direction that you want to go. You don't know what the destination is going to be, but the values that you live for and strive for will lead you down the direction of where you want to go. Now, for Ann Perry, this is a question where I'm going to catch you off guard, but what are Ann Perry's values that she tries to strive for on a daily basis when it comes to living her personal life and living her business life? Hmm. I, my values, um, well, honesty and, and integrity always, but I've come to learn and it took me a while because I'm, I'm a 16, seven life path number and we don't like to be embarrassed. We don't like to be caught off guard that we don't know what we're talking about. Right. That kind of thing. So, but I've learned that one of my biggest strengths is my vulnerability. And that's one thing I really like about myself is that what you see is what you get. And if I've experienced something in my life that was, you know, quite an experience, if I feel it's going to serve you well, I'll share it. And it's never because I want it to be about me ever. I I believe I'm a vessel. I think that everything that happens to me happens to me because I'm intended to take note of it because someday I'm going to meet that person who needs to hear my story. I'm not a victim. Life happens through me, right? It doesn't happen to me. Life never happens to me. It happens through me and I get to choose how I respond. And how I choose is always creating my reality, right? I can choose to be angry. I can choose to be happy. I can choose to be sad. Nobody gets to choose for us. We get to choose for ourselves. So I look at life now rather than being a victim, and I used to be a terrible victim, but I, I, I kind of get a charge out of it. When, when I get pushed against the wall, my first question is, what's spirit trying to teach me? Like, What's the lesson in this? And if I'm angry about it, it means I'm scared. What am I scared of? You know, there's some juicy nuggets in that. So I had a client like, um, I don't know, a year or two ago, and she was really pushing my buttons on something. It was just, anyway, disagreement and doesn't happen very often, but she was really pushing my buttons. And I thought, what the heck is this all about? And I realized that she was, her behavior was very similar to the behavior of my mom. And my mom and I didn't always see eye to eye. And I, my mom had some mental health issues and I felt, I was scared at the time with my mom, not that she would hurt me or anything, but I didn't know how to help her. You know, I'm the fixer. I didn't know how to help her. I didn't know how to, to make it right. And so therefore I was threatened by her and this gal was pushing those buttons. And so I had to face that shadow and here I am sharing it with you, you know, like, and that's okay. Right. I, there's nothing, I don't hold anything back. My vulnerability is definitely something I'm very proud of. I believe vulnerability is a superpower Oh yeah, because it takes a lot of strength and a lot of gumption to be able to put yourself out get your story out there and be able to help others yeah. by showing that, you know, they're not alone. You know, what you do helps others by showing that they're not alone, that you've been there. And this is the journey that's brought you here. Yeah. I love, you know, I, I just love that whole, I know sometimes it gets a little old to hear, have somebody say, you know, I see you, I hear you. I, you know, I validate you, whatever. But I think there's nothing better than that. Keeping it real, like just keeping it real. 
you know, one of the things I enjoy to do is to take the dark and scary out of things like numerology, because there's so much out there that, that is just so out there. There's no other way I can describe it. Like I'll watch a video and I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm a numerologist, right? So I like to keep it really simple because I feel that it doesn't matter where you're at at any state in your evolution. There's no judgment. Like, I just want to keep it really simple so everybody can partake and everybody can contribute. and Nobody will ever feel intimidated. Just, yeah, keep it simple. It doesn't have to be dark and scary and all, you know, complicated. And it's kind of like, you know, when you get back to Dr. Usui, who, who uh, discovered Reiki, Reiki was uh, a Japanese healing art. It was discovered by Dr. Usui. And he taught it to a woman. He didn't teach it. I don't remember exactly who she was taught by. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, Mrs. Takata, she was the first one to take it to the United States. She took it to Hawaii. Well, the Japanese bombed Hiroshima. And of course, you know, the people in Hawaii, the Americans were like, mm, we want nothing to do with anything that's Japanese related. Forget it. Kind of thing. And so she had to change things up quite a bit to fabricate a bunch of lies to say that Dr. Usui was, was educated in the United States and on and on it went. But the big thing that she did was that she created hand positions because the Americans would not accept the simplicity of Reiki. They had to make it more complicated. And I don't mean this as, as a slight against Americans by any stretch. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that this culture, North American culture, if you will, says that it's not worth anything unless it's more complicated. So I'm kind of rebelling against that a little bit to say it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be really simple. So everybody can take part. Going back to numerology and some of the, uh, what you're referring to, some things out there could be considered scary for some. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about karmic debt, for instance. That might be a term that some people have heard when it comes to numerology, may not understand exactly what that means or what that entails for them. So if they're going through and say with getting a reading or looking through their, their numbers and they find out they have a karmic debt, first, what is a karmic debt? How do they understand what it is or how to see it in their charts? Mm And what does that mean for them? So that's a great question. There's many cultures that are really freaked out about the concept of karmic debt. Uh, East Indian culture, for sure. As soon as I say there's a karmic debt, they're like, oh my God, that's terrible. But it's not because it's misconstrued. A lot of people consider karmic debt to be punishment. And it's not at all punishment. What it is, karmic debt, there's two different things that we see in in a numerology chart. We see karmic debts and we see karmic lessons. Okay. So they're very different things. So the karmic debt is either the number 13, 14, 16, or 19. So if you were born, for example, on the 16th day, you have a karmic debt of 16. Maybe your name adds up to 19. Well, you have a karmic debt related to the 19 and so on and so forth. So what it is, is that you were acknowledging that you were guilty of some bad behavior in a previous lifetime. So if you look at it from the perspective that you're saying, okay, well, I could come back as a one life path member, but I'm not, you know, I I recognize that I kind of behaved badly in the previous lifetime. So I want to make that right. I want to clear that slate and I want to evolve in a more positive direction. So I'm going to bring that up as a 19 one. And so what that does is it, it goes into your soul's contract. The theory is that we write our soul's contract before we get here. And then part of that process is deciding whether you're going to bring karmic debts with you or not. So you choose whether you bring them or not. So let's say, you know, you've chosen to bring in a 19-1 karmic debt. So that's somebody who abused power 
in a previous lifetime. They climbed up the corporate ladder. They stomped on people like bugs to get ahead. They weren't very nice people. So in this lifetime, they are intended to help people to help themselves. They're intended to help people go up that up that uh, corporate ladder, if you will. That's a metaphor, of course. And they're intended to help them to succeed and to recognize that their success is your success. You don't need the limelight this time around. You want to shine the light on them. Okay, so that's just one example. Fourteen five. You know, somebody more on the. When I say fourteen five, I mean fourteen slash five because one and four equal five. That's a code, right? 19 slash one, that's a code. It can be deciphered. Each one of those numbers means something. So if, if, for example, you have a karmic debt of 14, that is somebody who abused their freedom in a previous lifetime. They made some really bad choices. They blew it. They lost all their money. And it was likely related to substance abuse of some kind, or it could be gambling, something like that, some kind of a very habitual characteristic that really took them down. So in this lifetime, they tend to be a little on the conscious side, right? So it's not punishment. Although it's deemed that way sometimes, not punishment. It's it's really you've chosen to bring it here. Yes, you know, like I have, I'm a 16, my life path number is a 16, seven. It says that I betrayed people in a previous lifetime. So in this lifetime, it's it's super important for me that people trust me. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that people that's I guess that's where my vulnerability comes from. I want people to trust me. So sometimes I'll even overcompensate for that because I am paying back for the fact that I wasn't trustworthy in a previous lifetime. And the karmic lessons relate to missing letters in your in your birth name. So they're they're a, they're a low grade <laughs> karmic thing. So karmic debts can show up in so many different places. Like they can come in and be a constant, like what we call a core number. In my case, it's a life path number. They can come in as an expression number, which comes from your full birth name. It can come in as a heart's desire number or a day that you're born. So that will present consistent lessons related to the karmic debt. So as I said, you know, the 19 would bring in lessons related to how you use your power and your authority. And are you of service to others or or is it all about you? And that's a constant, right? But it can show up as an essence, okay, uh, which is a timeline, which is just sort of, you know, a year, maybe two. So it's influencing your experience doesn't mean if it comes in as a as a, a timeline or a cycle it doesn't mean that you're guilty of bad behavior it means that you will feel for a certain period of time the effects of that karmic debt doesn't mean you have the karmic debt it just means that you're feeling the resonance of that karmic debt so for example somebody with the 167 that would come in as a cycle they're going to have a, a tough go because the number 16 typically is kind of the rise and the fall of the ego. So that's a timeline, okay? And the 16-7 relates on a, well, let's say this to make it easier to understand. It's a four number. It's a constant, always in your face, always feeling it, always there, always working on it. But if it comes in as a cycle, you'll feel those same things, but only for a short period of time. So sometimes it, it feels more difficult for it to come in as a cycle because it's so unexpected and unfamiliar. And so again, you, like you say, it's how you, everything's neutral until you choose to respond to it. And you can choose in a negative way or you can choose a positive way. And either way is going to create your existence. It's going to create your reality. Good to know. There are some numbers that have a stronger vibration than others. Can you share a bit about master numbers? Sure. So a master number is kind of an odd name because people who have master numbers tend to come to me thinking that they are you know, they, they're a master number, you know, there's sort of a certain amount of notoriety associated with 
with the term master number, but really what it means is a master number is when two numbers duplicate themselves. So for example, the number 11 is a master number of the number one. That means that that person who has the 11 as their master number, as their life path number or whatever, wherever it fits, they are here to master the lessons related to the number one. So that's learning independence and confidence and creativity and leadership inside. The 22 is the duplicated number of the two. So that person is mastering the vibration of the number two, which is about partnership and patience and diplomacy, team, team effort. Sort of so they tend to be very, very sensitive people, particularly the 11s. The one relates to intuition as well. And when you take the 11, one plus one, it equals two. So you know that this person is very, very sensitive because the two relates to sensitivity. And a need, the master numbers all feel a need to do something much bigger than they're currently doing. They know that they've signed a contract that says, I'm going to do something amazing. I just don't quite know what it is. And they fail to realize that they might be doing it right now in this moment because they, they have this fear that they're not doing well enough, that they're not good enough. And so they always project, or a lot of them project into the future. I'll be better when, you know, when I have that degree, I'll be better when I get married. I'll do better when I have this finished whatever. It's, it's the constant challenge for them to live in the moment. Awesome. Now, before we start wrapping things up here, along your journey, you've been bombarded with a lot of different information, a lot of advice. What has been the best advice that you've ever received? And how has that helped you along your journey? I always go back to a quote of Wayne Dyer's. And he said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I, I don't remember, you're, you're the master at remembering quotes. <laughs> I do not remember quotes very well unless they really, really speak to me. And that one really spoke to me because I, you know, if you change your perspective, just change the way you're looking at things. If, if you feel stuck, I always try to get across to my clients because 99% of the clients that come to me, come to me because they feel stuck in some aspect. And sometimes I can identify it very clearly on their chart. Oh, look at this. You're in a year of four and you've got a 22-4 essence going on. Well, the four kind of implies that you're feeling stuck, but guess what? Hey, it's just a cycle and it's going to be over at such and such a time. But then there are also the other ones that come to me that have numbers in their chart that indicate that that's just who they are. They are always going to come from a half empty cup unless we teach them how to come from a half full cup. So when they say I'm, I'm feeling stuck, I'm like, well, you, you can't be stuck. Right? Unless you choose to feel stuck, that's your choice. But you can't be stuck because last time I checked, every second that goes by is leading to another minute that goes by, that's leading to another hour that goes by, that's leading to another day that goes by. And by, you know, and then you just keep going. And guess what? The world is not going to stop rotating just because you're having a bad day and feeling stuck. Right. So it's impossible when you start thinking about how the planet is always turning, it's predictable, it's guaranteed, it never slows down, it is always going to revolve the same way we can't be stuck we can choose to be stuck you know that that's you know that's your choice if there's something to be gained if there's something to be gained by being stuck well go for it you know fill your boots but you know i think once you kind of get that across to people they start to see well yeah you're right but sometimes people don't feel safe to be unstuck they kind of stick with what they know and i respect that yep and that's really where i guess the comfort zone comes in as well that's right it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. Exactly. But, you know, if you and I could look at the same 
I always love this. You know, you and I could go and look at the same piece of artwork. You know, let's say we go and take a look at the Mona Lisa and you could look at that and go, oh my God, Ian, that's the most beautiful painting I've ever seen in my life. Don't you love it? And I'd be looking at you like, are you on? You're like, seriously, really? Uh, no, I hate it. I, I, I don't, we're, we're both looking at the same thing, but I can choose how I respond to that. And you can choose how you respond to it. It's the same as if we saw a horrific crime. You might look at that crime and go, oh my I can't get over this. Like, this is so terrible. It's so bad. I'm never going to get over. This is awful. That's your choice. I might look at that and go, yeah, that's really bad. That's really, really awful. And I feel really badly for them, but I'm going to choose to kind of let that go because we all have the power to do that, but we're all going to make our own choices. So when we change the way that we look at something, what we look at is going to change. Reality is a personal journey. It is personal choice. Sure. And for those along this journey, for those out there who want to learn more about numerology or want to connect with you and just learn more, where can they find you? Well, my website's probably the easiest place to learn a little bit more about me and what I do and the readings that I do and membership I have and all that kind of good stuff. And it's just simply Ann Perry, A-N-N Perry, P-E-R-R-Y, numerologist.com. Amazing. And you talked about a membership. Can you go into uh, a little information about what that is? Oh, I'd love to. I have a membership that started about three years ago and I initially opened it up for master 11. So right now, currently it's called the master number 11 membership, but spirit has called me to nurture more than just the master 11s. I'm being called to respond to the needs of those who are energetically sensitive, maybe the empaths, you know, those, those fixers among us. People who are running with a, an empty cup because they're spent and they need a little bit of support. So we're opening up the membership and we are now going to be changing it. About the middle of July, I expect that it'll finally be open, the new membership. And it's going to be called the Clarity Seekers Community. But I do want to add that it's going to be a much expanded version of what the membership is right now. But you can still get into the membership for $11 a month or $65 for a full year. And that's going to include live seminars. Zoom chats where you can talk to my special guests. I'm going to be teaching numerology in the new group. There's 40, 42, I think, masterclasses already in there with PDFs and MP3s and all kinds of cool stuff. So if you get in now at the $11 a month price or $65 a year, I'm never going to raise the price on you. You're grandfathered in for life. But come mid-July, you're going to get a heck of a lot more than what you're going to have right now. So I'm super pumped to, uh, to share that. Well, I'm not getting paid to say this. I'm a <laughs> member of the the Master 11 membership, and I can tell you it's definitely worth every penny. Awesome. I appreciate that. And we love having you there. It's a, it's a great group. So you also have a fantastic YouTube channel where you do like monthly updates. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. It's again, it's just Ampere Numerologist on, uh, on YouTube. Currently myself and spiritual life coach, uh, Susan Saucier, she's from Florida. She and I do a monthly forecast, which you can check out. and. We cover the astrological side of what's going on in the month. And we cover, obviously, the numerological side as well. And we pull a couple of angel cards and that sort of thing. And it's, it's kind of neat. And we do that uh, once a month. And um, I've also got a mid-month. I've got two newsletters that come out um, each month. I don't bombard everybody with lots of stuff. But we do do two a month. One sends out the forecast to you. And the other one is a mid-month one that usually talks about... Uh, some aspect of numerology that you can apply to your life. So I might, I'll be teaching you something that you can apply to your life. It might be related to a cycle or understanding relationships better, or, you know, things like that. So, and again, you can, if you sign up for it on my website, you also get a 
free video called Three Things Your Date of Birth Can Reveal About You. And this is an exclusive video. It's not available on YouTube. So it's an educational film as well. Fantastic. And I definitely recommend going to check that out for anyone who is interested. And, you know, and I want to thank you again for, you know, sharing space with me today and just being here and providing the amazing value and support and knowledge. Thank you for being here. It's been a you know, fantastic conversation and I am gratefully appreciated. You. Oh, I'm so grateful that you included me, Ray, and and I've been looking forward to this as well. And I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing, um, and helping parents to, you know, thrive rather than survive. And and so many generations moving forward will benefit because of the work that you're doing right now. So thank you for that. <laughs>